Matt Chorley on Times Radio with you until one o'clock. Now then, Brexit. Do you remember that? Uh, it was all the rage uh, about this time uh, last year. Well, it's still ongoing and Downing Street making clear it still believes it can get a post-Brexit trade deal uh, with the EU next month. Uh, the seventh round of negotiations getting underway today. Uh, but both sides still uh, bitterly divided over lots of things. Um, here to explain where we are and is it really realistic that a deal could be done next month is uh, Anand Menon, Director of the UK in a Changing Europe. Afternoon, Anand. Hi, how are you doing? Very good, very good. So just for, if, if in the unlikely event that people have had other things on their minds in the last few uh, weeks and months, <laughs> uh, where are we on, uh, on the progress of Brexit? Well, I suppose the reassuring thing for people who've had other things on their mind is that we're pretty much where we were when they were last thinking about Brexit talks because issues remain exactly the same. We need to find a compromise on fish. We need to find a compromise on these minimum standards, the level playing field the EU is insisting on. And we need to find a compromise on how anything we agree is enforced between the two sides. So in substantive terms, actually, we're pretty much where we've always been, that the three sticking points remain. So go on then, uh, uh, unpack those uh, things briefly. What do we want well, on, on fish and what do they want on fish? Well, on fish, what the EU originally said was that they wanted essentially the same access to our waters as they had when we were a member state and part of the common fisheries policy. And what the UK government has said was, hang on, we're taking back control. And what that means is you don't get the same as you had before. And we get to decide how long you have any access that we decide to give you for. So the British government wants to be able to decide on a regular basis what access the EU should get. The EU wants a lot of access, but it wants it decided over the long term. So that the questions of timing and the questions of access are the key. So is the issue that we accept uh, that uh, boats from the rest of the EU will come into British waters? We just want to be able to say that we are choosing to let them in. Yes, yeah, cynically, I think this is as much about appearance as anything else. That is to say, we could easily imagine a compromise whereby the EU gets slightly less access than it has now. So the government could turn around to British fishermen and say, look, you've got more fish now because of the deal we've struck. And the British government reserves the right to decide regularly on how much access to give the EU. But the EU know that that vote is pretty much uh, a given. It's a done deal, and so they have the reassurance that they'll be able to keep fishing in our waters. And then on uh, le level playing field, it's a phrase that gets bandied about a lot. Explain for people who, who haven't been paying attention what that means. Well, level playing field simply means that the EU say, because we're a massive economy on their doorstep, they can't give us tariff-free access to their market unless we disagree to abide by minimum standards. They might be minimum standards of environmental protection, of workers' rights, or crucially, standards when it comes to how much money government can give to industries to help them, the question of state aids. And of all the level playing field issues, it's state aids that's become the most tendentious because the British government has to date simply failed to tell the EU what it intends to do with regard to state aids. And the EU is saying, well, until we know what your plans are, we can't evaluate whether or not they're a threat to our market. This feels like the one that, that goes more to the heart of the, the question of Brexit, that what is the point of us leaving the EU is if part of the deal is we have to behave in exactly the same way as if we were still inside it. 
Yeah, and that's that's pretty much the argument you hear from the government, which is the whole point of leaving the European Union was we can do what I want, what we want with our laws, and we certainly don't expect to leave the European Union and be told how much money we can give to our own industries. The flip side, I suppose, is it's very unlikely that we will ever give as much money to industry as, say, the German government do, and they do it within the EU rules. So what the EU is saying is give us some sense of what you're planning to do, what regulations you're planning to introduce domestically to govern state aid, and then we can talk. And one of the problems that the government has had, I think, is because of the pandemic and because of the recent fuss over A-levels and so on, they haven't quite got round to defining the system they want. And unless and until they do, I don't think the EU are going to budge. And then on the, the question of how any uh, future deal will be enforced, we, we can't even agree on what might happen if we disagree. Well, precisely. And I hear the big point is what the government has said is let's sign a load of small agreements, one on trade, one on security, one on fish. So we've got all sorts of different agreements floating around. And the EU say absolutely not. What we want is one big agreement that covers all the areas where we cooperate. And what that means is if, for instance, you don't play ball in one area, we can retaliate in another so if we think you're not living up to your obligations when it comes to internal security, we can actually retaliate when it comes to uh, trading rights. And that is a fundamental difference of principle between the two sides. Although the British government has recently started saying we might accept a degree of simplification, which I take as code for, OK, then we don't have to have quite as many agreements as we first insisted on. And then in terms of... The, the progress, because both sides, uh, the EU's saying that Britain won't budge, Britain's saying the EU's pretending it's making offers to budge, but they know they're things that we're not going to accept. So um, what do we expect from the talks this week, and, and what prospect of a deal being done? Uh, I, well, my expectation is precious little from the talks this week, because I've always thought that the talks move when the political heavyweights on both sides get involved and sanction concessions. That's to say, both sides have to give something. The negotiators themselves, whether it's David Frost or Michel Barnier, cannot make those concessions without their bosses. So the EU leaders on the one hand, Boris Johnson on the other, say, OK, look, here's a bit of wiggle room. Go away and get a deal on the basis of that. So I suspect it's going to be into September and possibly October when those sorts of things start to happen, then we'll see some movement. But the final thing worth saying, I think, is there are deals and deals. And even though I still think the chances are we'll get a deal, it will be a very thin deal and nowhere near the kind of ambitious arrangement that Theresa May used to declare was her objective from Brexit. Is it the case, and people always say this, that in the end the deal is always done late in the day? Uh, this is what how the EU works. There's lots of talks and ongoing and everyone has their positions. And then there'll be a crunch summit or maybe a crunch Zoom call uh, late in the day and it'll all be signed off. Everyone will budge, declare it a victory. And that's just what always happens. It tends to happen in, in negotiations within the European Union. And yes, uh, Remember, the EU hasn't had a negotiation like this before where the cost of no deal isn't the status quo, but something far, far more disruptive than the status quo. And also remember, in the first stage of Brexit, when it came to the withdrawal agreement, yes, we got a deal at the last minute, but that wasn't because the EU caved. That was because Boris Johnson signed up to something that Theresa May had refused to sign up to. So, yes, it might well be there's a deal late in the day. It won't necessarily be because the EU has caved.
And uh, is it possible that uh, with um, uh, coronavirus, like you were saying, the exam results debacle this week, people are on their holidays, they're distracted by other things, the schools are coming back in September. Does everyone just settle on a deal that actually had Theresa May try to do it? It would have caused a huge stink and uproar, but everyone just wants this over with. The EU's distracted by coronavirus as well. So the sort of deal that would have caused a stink before, everyone just waves through in the end. Uh, and then we, we, we officially leave at the end of the year, and that's that. I'm not sure that's quite accurate, because I think there is very little danger under this government that we get what some people were accusing Theresa May of wanting, which is a Brexit in name only. That is to say, a Brexit where we still remain tied to a de facto customs union and to lots of EU laws and regulations. This deal will be far thinner than anything that Theresa May was trying to negotiate. So there's a big difference there. The second thing I'd say is, in the event that we get a serious second wave of corona, the real danger is there will simply not be the space for the sort of political attention that is needed to unlock these talks. And then I think there is a real danger that there will be no successful outcome because everyone is distracted by the virus. Well, thanks for filling us in there on the, the latest on Brexit. Anand Menon from the UK in a changing Europe.